Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Today's episode about adolescent health features Dr. Natasha Ramsey, aka Gorgeous Doc. Dr. Ramsey is a board-certified pediatrician who is currently in training to become an adolescent medicine specialist. She founded Gorgeous Doc to provide guidance to up-and-coming healthcare professionals and is now expanded to providing health education and resources to youth through art. She plans to continue her work in global adolescent medicine and commitment to diversity with the hopes of becoming a leader and advocate in the global community, fighting to improve the health of teens around the world. Learn more at www.gorgeousdoc.com. Here I am with Dr. Ramsey. Want to tie your partner up in bed but don't know where to start? When you want to get a little frisky and brighten up your sex life, try Emojibator's new rainbow bondage rope, safe for restraint and suspension. Whether it be their classic emoji vibrators, silly pasties, or fab beauty products, Emojibator will deliver. Find all of their body safe toys for pleasure at Emojibator.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 25% off your purchase. Follow them on Instagram at Emojibator. Have you had trouble getting birth control during quarantine? Meet Pandia Health. By people with uteruses, for people with uteruses, and led by a doctor, Pandia Health makes your life easier by bringing birth control by mail. Pandia Health offers free and confidential delivery of the pill, so you don't have to go out of your way to get the healthcare you need. Skip the trip to the pharmacy. Go to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code SEXEDFREE to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Follow them on Instagram, at Pandia Health. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. Creating a homemade dildo or a usable copy of your own penis is rapidly turning into the new standard in ultra-custom sex toys, thanks to Clonawilly. Clona Willy has been all about dick since 96 and brings you a DIY penis or vulva molding kit for your favorite sex toy or memento. Whether it be for a birthday, Hanukkah, or just because, Clona Willy is the perfect gift. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Hello, Tasha. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. How are you? You know, I'm good. As we just chatted about, I got a new kitten and she is really rambunctious um, to the point where it's getting in the way of my interviews. But um, nonetheless, I am very, very happy that you're here. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. Um, Let's go ahead and get started by you sharing your name, your pronouns and what you do. Sure. So my name is Natasha Ramsey. Um, my friends call me Tasha. My patients call me Dr. Ramsey. Um, I, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. 
Um, I'm a doctor. Um, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm specializing in adolescent medicine. So currently I'm in fellowship training, which is just like more training <laughs> to become a doctor that takes care of young people ages 11 to 25. Um, so people always ask me like, what does that even mean? Um, because I can't like a regular pediatrician just do that. But we do take care of things that are very specific to teenagers, like STDs, um, pregnant, teen pregnancy. We do mental health. We do sports medicine, nutrition, pretty much anything that affects a young person. We, we focus on that puberty, menstrual problems, all those things. So it's a really, really cool field. It's a newer field that's like evolved a lot over the past decade. And it's like one of the best decisions I've made um, in my life. So oh my gosh. I really, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. And that is interesting because I feel like when I think of like pediatricians, I'm just like, oh yeah, zero to 18. And there hasn't really been that like middle part of like 12 to 18 that needs like that real focus. So that's really awesome that you're, you're focusing on that. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is like, adolescents have specific needs. So a pe pediatricians are definitely capable of taking care of teenagers, but it's very difficult when you take care of someone when they're like a baby and then go to like transit, have to transition to like helping them like access birth control. You know, it's teens sometimes don't feel comfortable talking to their pediatrician about those things because their pediatrician has known them their whole life. Their parents come with them to all their visits it's very difficult to kind of make that transition to talking about those things that are a little bit more sensitive or that are things that you want to remain confidential between you and the doctor. Um, so we do find that like our patients kind of get to the point where they're like, okay, like I kind of need to talk to somebody who knows like how to <laughs> help me with this. Right. Um, also there's, we take care of a lot of college students who are in that transitional period of being, being an adult technically, but like not knowing how to navigate the medical system. And so we have a nice range of people that we take care of. Some who are, you know, just now figuring out that what puberty is and other people who are like, I have like a bump down here and I need you to look at it. So mm -hmm. it's just like a really wide range of what we see. Love it. Super important. Uh, what is your background and how did you come to be passionate about medicine? Yeah, when you say background, do you mean, like, where am I from? Sure, <laughs> like, all the above. Like, all the things that led you from, like, point A to point Z, where you are now. Yes, absolutely. So, my um, my family's from Jamaica. Um, they migrate, they immigrated here back when they were actually adolescents, which I could not imagine having to go through. Um, but I was born and raised in Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl. Um, I, in high school, I was very interested in sexual health. I joined a teen magazine. Actually, it, start, it started because I love to write. And one of my mentors um, in high school told me about a teen magazine that was looking for youth writers. And so I was like, okay, great. Like, I love to write. I could get paid to write. This is awesome. So I joined the magazine and it was called Sex, Etc. And they focused on reproductive oh, I know health. them through like a maze. Like, yeah, well, they do they were, a maze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been around like for years. Like the the person who like founded it is like um this woman named Susie and she has this necklace that says sex, etc. And she's like this older, like white woman with gray hair and it's, she's just so badass. I just like always admired her. But um it's been around for a long time. But they have were transitioning to a magazine at the time, so they were looking for like new people. And so I joined it and it just like sparked my interest and like opened my mind to like how much um, 
inequalities there were in sexual health education in the country and how, like, depending on where you live, depending on what you look like, depending on where you're from, depending on your socioeconomic, socioeconomic status, you may not get the same education or the same access to resources as someone else. So that just, like, was an injustice to me. And I was like, this is not right. I got to fix it. So when I got to college, I knew that I was going to major in public health, but the medic- the medical piece was kind of like, it's kind of iffy. Like I actually didn't want to be a doctor. I was like, I, that's like the last thing I wanted oh, to do. Oh, really? Literally, I like ran away from it. I was like, oh, like, why would I want to work in a hospital? Like, oh, I just want to be a writer and be a journalist and like change the world and travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I had some really good mentors along the way who saw the potential in me and really pushed me. And they were like, you know, if you really want to make a difference in the way that you want to, like you need that, you need to have the backing behind you. Um, And so I decided to pursue medicine. And then also I got my master's in public health. So at at my core, I'm a health educator. At my core, I'm I'm into public health and, and programming and creating things that help not just like individual people, but help the masses. And so that's kind of like how I've navigated my like medical like training and journey thus far but it's been it's been fun (laughs) that's awesome yeah Yeah. I feel like we have a ton of similarities my my mom is an OBGYN and um yeah and I just graduated with my master's of public health from Columbia in May and so I feel very much like you of like I love creating things I love like really being like with people changing things on the ground and talking about policy and you know especially with art like like you we'll get into this but I'm a musician and I'm a performer and I very much feel like there is a place for art and public health to intersect um so we gotta have another call at some point for uh for more uh partnerships but (laughs) yeah um so I would love to hear about your business, Gorgeous Doc. Um, also love the name. Very, very fun and fresh. Um, and I would love for you to share your mission and how you combine those, you know, resources, art, writing, and that racial equity piece. Absolutely. So um, Gorgeous Doc is like my like brainchild. It's been, it's something that I've been working on like pretty much my whole life. <laughs> so when I was um Gorgeous. The name Gorgeous came from when I was in middle school. And, you know, back in the day, everyone had like nicknames, you know, like my friend was like cutie and my other friend was like whatever. And we all misspelled it wrong and like drew bubble letters and like wrote it, doodled it all over our notebooks. So that's kind of where that name came from, even though at the time I felt like, like, you know, kind of frumpy and like not cute and kind of awkward because I was a teenager. kind of like stuck with me. And then as I, you know, transitioned into like my training and became a doctor, I was like, oh, like, of course, I'm going to just like combine the two because like, this is who I've always been. Um, But like I said, I've loved to write. Writing was always something that was really important to me. And so I actually used to document my experiences as a black woman in medicine. And that's kind of how it started. So I started out blogging about my experiences, like blogging and giving like advice to like other people who were in medicine and trying to navigate like a crazy system that's like not meant for us (laughs) um and then at some point I like realized that it needed to be like I wanted to expand it and make it something more um and it honestly it continues to evolve and kind of morph into something um but at this point really gorgeous doc has three main goals and really these are the goals of just like me as a as 
just a, of Tasha. <laughs> um, but I've found a way to like, like funnel them into gorgeous stuff. So ultimately my goals are, um, adolescent health education, um, advocacy through artwork and then anti-racism work. So those are really the three areas that I have consistently, you know, been involved in things that I consistently do. Um, and so really gorgeous stock is just meant to serve as a, um, a resource for people who are doing any of any of that work in any space. Um, and really adolescents are, are the population that I, um, care about the most. And so I hope to serve as like a resource for people who want to help teens too, or for teens themselves. Um, so that's kind of how gorgeous stock has evolved to this point. I ultimately see it being like a consultative service where if there's like a place that wants to start an adolescent clinic or like a program that wants to like create an adolescent focus, like they could reach out to me and I could help provide them with that kind of consultative service. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And tell me, tell me more about your writing. Like what were you kind of like writing essays? Like you said you were writing about your experience, but also was it kind of like, were you ever writing fiction? Like what, what kind of stuff were you hoping to write a book? Like tell me more about your like authordom. Yeah. When I was a kid, like it was mostly writing books. Like I would, you know, write these stories about, you know, all types of things. Like I, most of it was like nonfiction and then um, as I, I also had a journal. I kept a journal from like second grade all the way through high school, which oh, I still, wow. yeah, I was like pretty consistent and I had all of them until all the way up until college, which it kind of died because I was trying to, I was pre-med and when you're pre-med, there's nothing. <laughs> no time. Matters. So that they kind of died at that point. And then when I got into medicine, when I got into medical school, I like dibbled and dabbled and then I started writing again. It, it Really, it was like a form of reflection for me. So it would be like a, a specific patient experience or like an experience as like a, you know, like a, as a like student or resident or doctor of color. Like, for instance, I had a blog that I talked about. The bus driver called me the nurse or ma'am or something like that. And like I had on like my white coat and like a stethoscope and like an ID that had like doctor on it. And like he like calls me out and was like, oh, this bus is only for the doctors. And I was like, oh, my God. Doctors. Yeah. So I like talked about that um, or like cool patient experiences that I had. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And then I, it evolved into like more like advice, like this is how you navigate your first year of medical training or like, this is how you like find funding for med school, that kind of thing. So I am currently working on a book. I've been working on this book for forever. <laughs> so Is it like no- a collection of everything? Yeah. So I, it's, it's literally like some of my journal entries from when I was a teen. Um, and so um, the book is just going to be a compilation of some of those experiences that I had growing up. Um, and it really will be like tailored towards young people. Um, but I think older people would enjoy it too. Cause it'll be back in the day. We could all relate to some of those awkward moments. <laughs> yes. I have like one, one part of the book. I like talk about like going shopping for my first bra, like things like that. Like some of the things that happen and the transition of going from being like a kid to being a teen or an adult. So um, that'll be coming down the pipeline when it, when it's, when it's done, I'll let you know, but it may be like a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would really love to read it. My, my mom actually, she just came out with a book and it's very similar of kind of like 
her basically it's like tales from the operating room but she also talks about like you know being you know what her life was kind of like like having two kids in medical school and then kind of she like yeah it's it's wild and you know it cost it cost her her marriage you know like my my parents got divorced and just kind of like talk about you know there are other reasons that they shouldn't have been together but I think as a med student and as a doctor and former med student you completely understand just the amount of time and and energy it takes yeah and sacrifice and and just as you know as the child of a really busy doctor like from then even until now in my late 20s she's still like you know running her private practice in Napa and like still delivering babies she's like talking and at conferences like doctors are very very busy people and there's a lot that you know they have to do in order to be the professionals that they want to be and it takes a lot of time and energy and but also what comes of that is like amazing stories of like helping people and kind of like you know horrible stories it sounds like for you obviously there's been like micro and macro aggressions that come with that especially with being like a black woman in medicine I think that's a whole perspective that is extremely valuable and uh, yeah, I would love to read it when it's finished or when it's out there. I'll keep you updated. <laughs> Please do. Um, so, so yeah, let's talk more about your work. So you work with young people since you're a pediatrician and you kind of already talked about this a little bit, but you're in training to become an adolescent medicine specialist. And I would love to know what are, what are like the top five questions that you always get asked by young people? That's a great question. It's funny. <laughs> One of the main questions I get asked is no question. <laughs> Zero. Sometimes teens will come to see us and they don't even know what it is that they like need or need to like advocate for. And that's part of like what adolescent doctors do, which is try to help young people develop self-efficacy and develop the ability to, you know, communicate about their health and the issues and things that they're having. Um, so even at age 11 and 12, we will kick the parents out of the room and say, and have alone time with the doctor where we will ask questions that are targeted specifically at things that we're trying to help them with. So we'll ask about their home environment, about school, we'll ask them about sex and drugs. Um, we'll ask them about suicidality and mental health issues, um, things like that. And so most of the time, like I've definitely have had situations where, the teens actually didn't say what was going on, but I had asked them a question that allowed that made them realize that it was a safe space, and then they disclosed like whatever concern or issue or thing that was was going on with them. So most of the time, there is no question. Then the other time, there are. <laughs> then I would say that's maybe like fifty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Then other times, there's like a bunch of different questions, and I think with my younger teens, I often get the question of, am I normal? Mm. So I'll get anything along those lines of like my, you know, I'm, I smell, is that normal? Or like I have my boobs started to develop, but like my friends doesn't have boobs. Is that normal? Or like my genital area looks weird. Like, can you look at it? Is that normal? Like those kind of things. So I get a lot of those, am I normal questions? And that's a normal part of adolescent development is trying to figure out like, who you are. And so the first part of that is like figuring out like, are you a weirdo or is this like something that everyone else is going through too? Right. Um, So I do answer a lot of questions about if they're normal, if, you know, 
things are fine. The other thing I get a lot of questions about or that will come up during my visits with my patients is menstrual issues. So menstrual, you know, this month, I think it's like national period day is coming up and there's a lot of stigma around men about men around menstrual, you know, menstruation in general. Mm -hmm. So people talk about it. People don't want to, you know, people don't learn about it. And so I have patients who will come in and they're like, oh yeah, when I have my period, I bleed for like 15 days. And like, you're like, that's not normal. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of questions about menstrual problems, or I identify that as a problem when we're just like doing our routine check-in. The other thing I get a lot of questions about is vaginal discharge or concern for STDs. Um, So a lot of times my patients will come in and just be like, something is weird. I don't know what's going on. Can you just look at it? <laughs> so we do a lot of STD testing um, as team doctors um, because obviously teens are having sex, which is a normal part of adolescent development and finding yourself. Um, but we do do a lot of um, STD like counseling and um, testing and things like that. The, there's two more things I get questions about. Um, birth control. I get tons and tons of questions about birth control. Um, and even if I don't, it's something that I bring up. Like if someone comes in for a pregnancy test, that's like a perfect opportunity to say, okay, like, you know, your test was negative today, but you know, this seems like it was really stressful for you. Like, how about we talk about like different things that you could do to help prevent this from happening again? Um, and so contraception is something we talk about very often. The problem that I run into a lot with contraception is that there's a huge mistrust for the medical system, which is honestly very valid. valid. Yes. And currently I'm reading a book called Killing the Black Body, which talks about reproductive justice mm-hmm. and how reproduction has been used as a form of control over like black women and women of color. Um, and I don't know if you heard about that recent case at that jail where they were doing like hysterectomies on people yes. with things like that. So those kind of things have happened throughout history um, by the hands of the medical system. And therefore, when my patient comes in and tells me like, oh, I heard that birth control causes this, like I can't, I yes, I can say like, oh, that's not true. But I also have to acknowledge that there is a history of wrongdoing in the medical system that is currently happening now. So it's Completely. like a very that I have to have with a lot of my patients. And then the last thing that I've been seeing a lot more is mental health issues. Um, so with, I mean, teens in general are, it's, being an adolescent is a time of stress in general, but you add a pandemic on top of that and it just, it has really taken a toll on a lot of, a lot of people, including adolescents. So mental health is another thing that comes up or a thing I you know, thing that I get questions about. I've had teens ask me like, I cry all the time and I don't know, not, know why, like, w- like, what is that? Mm. Or, you know, um, I have difficulty sleeping at night and I don't have an appetite and like all the symptoms of depression. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, you could be depressed. <laughs> right. So, um, so those are the main things that I see, um, that teens come to us for, or that we identify is an issue and we, we address. Yeah. Parents aren't equipped to um, like handle some of these. Like, I think it should be a team team player situation between schools and parents and medical professionals um, to really um, help teens when it comes to all of these things. And I just think that if kids, teens felt more comfortable 
chatting with their parents about these things, then they wouldn't um, it wouldn't take so long for them to talk with their doctors about it. There wasn't there wouldn't be so much taboo and so much um, kind of like scaredness around that and like what could what the answers could be to those questions. So I don't know. I just think that like I wish that there was more out there. And maybe there is, but like something that's more popular for parents to like really practice having these conversations with their kids. Because I think there's like, you know, when you think of like access, at least like virtually for young people, you think of like Planned Parenthood, you think there are like some apps out there that are doing these things. Kids are looking at Reddit, they're looking at TikTok, like they're looking at Twitter. Um, but for parents, like, I don't really think about like an app that like comes to mind or like a national kind of resource that makes it easy for them to talk to their kids about that. Do you know anything like that for parents? Yeah, there's a few websites that are targeted towards teens, but then also have like a component for parents. Um, so there's a few websites that I always recommend for, I, I often will print out the handout or email it out to both the parent and like the, the child. Um, so there's a website called youngwomenshealth.org, um, and then there's another one called Young Men's Health, um, and they have a section, they have articles on these different topics, like I mentioned, um, for not only the patient, but also the parent. So it'll be like a parent's guide to birth control, or like talking to your kid about depression. Um, so that that web, those websites are great resources. The other two websites that I use are Kids Health. Um, and it's all, they also have like a teen health. So like they have like the kids health section for like the younger kids and the teen health section is a little bit more raunchy and it's like vaginal discharge. Let's talk about it versus like the kids section where it's like, what is a vulva? (laughs) Or like hugging, sharing. Yes, exactly. So, um, depending on the age of the kid, I like direct them either way, but there is like a parent section, um, and it'll give information, the other thing is there's uh, the I have a I can send you this list if you want if, if that'll be easier for you to distribute. There's another thing called HealthyChildren.org and that's through the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they're tailored really I think mostly towards um, parents. Um, it's not really like a teen friendly website, um, but they have lots of resources for parents for baby for babies and for adolescents. And then the last website is Amaze, like you were talking about before. I think Amaze does a great job of explaining some of the things in video form and then like pictures um, for adolescents to understand and for parents to understand. So there's a lot of resources out there, but I don't think they're really centralized. And there's a few um, docs on Instagram who are doing a lot of things that are targeted towards parents. There's a doctor, her name is um, Dr. Hina Talib, and she... Her Instagram, I'm just searching it really quickly. I think it's teen, teen health doc. Um, so she does a lot of great posts for parents um, and tips on like talking to your kid about anxiety, talking to your kid about COVID, um, how to support your kid during the pandemic, like things like that. So I often will use her Instagram as like a resource. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard for parents to talk to kids, their kids in general, much less with the pandemic on top of it and, yes. uh, civil rights movement. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Pres- yes. There's so many opportunities for parents to be like getting real with their kids right now. And I hope they're taking those opportunities. Um, but I am not a parent one day. I hope to be a parent and I'm sure that it will be a lot harder. Say it again. <laughs> 
said you're a cat parent. I'm a cat parent. That's true. Oh my God. She's been like really biting these wires during this interview. Um, okay. I want to move on to talk about challenges of the healthcare system because I think that even as an adult, the healthcare system was designed to make it challenging for people to get the care that they need. Um, and especially for young people, right? So I'm wondering like what tips and tricks do you have for young people who are listening to have an easier time getting the access to the care that they need in the healthcare system? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I will be transparent in saying that I think our medical system sucks. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> these are ways that, you know, people can try to navigate the system, but understand that it is, it is broken and it is not a system that is, that has, you know, has the best interests of people at heart. And as much as we as doctors try to, you know, serve our patients and do the best for them, it really is a policy level, higher level problem that needs to be addressed. But nonetheless, <laughs> there are some things that um, teenagers can do to try to, you know, work the system and figure out how to get what they need. So the first thing to do is know your rights. So every state is completely different. And so you need to know, like, what are my rights within the state that I'm in um, and, or in the area that I'm in? I work in the DMV. And so literally, depending on which side of the border you live on, there's different laws, there's different access, different insurance. It's completely different. So knowing your rights is like the first step and knowing your rights in general. Right. So like knowing like, OK, I have access to confidential care when it comes to reproductive health, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to um you know, things that are, that are private. So that's important to know. So when you talk to your doctor about birth control, that is confidential in most states um, for you to start birth control. Also, if you have, if you're having depression or you're having substance use issues in most places, that is confidential. So you can get that care without necessarily having to involve your, your parents or having that be an additional barrier. In most cases, if it's that, if it's to the point where it's that difficult, something's going to be something difficult for you to navigate. We do recommend you involving your parents, but if the parent is someone who may not help with your healing journey or maybe an obstacle in you obtaining that that birth control or other health service, we may not involve your parent, and that is your right as a teen and as a young person. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'll say is learn your body, know what's normal for you. So some people, I've definitely had teens I've worked with say things like, oh, when I have sex, I have sex with the light off. I don't even turn lights on. I don't even look down there. And I, you know, I've had to tell my patients, like, you need to look. Like, you need to know what's normal and what's, what's not normal. So that way, if something changes, you know something is wrong, right? Get a mirror. Take a look. It is yours. It belongs to you. Make sure that you know what's going on down there. So that way, if there's anything abnormal... You know what's going on. So I always tell my patients, learn your body um, and learn what works for you. Um, know where to go for help and where to go for information. That's another important tip. A lot of times people will go on social media to try to find information, which some some of us are on Instagram trying our hardest to like put out you know information that's accurate. But there are people out there who are putting out information that is not true mm -hmm. and information that's not complete. And so you have to know what your trusted sources are. So some of those websites I listed earlier are web websites that are run by medical professionals and by 
um, young people. So they're written in a language that young people can understand, but they're backed by medical knowledge and by, by facts. So it's important to have a place where you know, like, okay, I'm gonna go to this website and I know that they're, I could trust the information that's coming from here. Um, and also an, a trusted adult. Like if there's an aunt or a cousin or a sister or a brother or some other individual teacher, counselor, someone that you can go to and say, I'm running into issues with this. Can you help me like navigate this? I don't necessarily want to involve my parent just yet. Or it may be your parent. I have lots of patients who have a great relationship with their parent and the parent is the one that's like, she needs to get STD testing today. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about birth control and we think the best one for her is the, the next one on or whatever. So that's great when people have that relationship with their parent. But if you don't, you have to find another adult or another trusted individual that you could talk to. Um, and then just making sure that you keep track of your medical history. So getting a copy of your vaccine record. So that way, when you go to college or if you get a job, you know what, which ones you've had or didn't have, which ones you need, like knowing what medications you're taking, um, knowing what, what medical problems you might be diagnosed with. Like if you have asthma or if you have acne or whatever, knowing what those medications are. And then knowing how to make appointments and talk, how to talk to your doctor or your healthcare provider is super important um, because as a teen, you are able to make appointments on your own and come to the doctor on your own. So that's, those are just a few tips um, that I recommend for all my patients. And by the time they're done in the adolescent clinic and they go off and become adults, um, I hope that they know how to do all of those things. Yes, super important. Um, so that's fantastic that you do have patients who, who do have, um, some of them at least good relationships with their parents. But for us, obviously we know some of that is not true. Um, or that there are parents who, you know, don't think that teens should have that confidential access. Um, we ourselves have seen some pushback on our social media from people who think that young people should have to consult their parents or that parents should be the one who guides health decisions for their kids. So how do you address this and like express why it's important for youth to be in control of these decisions? Yes, that that's such a good question. It's a balance between autonomy and protecting the, the, the young person or the, the, the teen. So at some point that teen is going to become an adult. And they are going to have complete control and autonomy over their body and be able to make decisions and choose what they want. And so adolescence is a time that you have to give um, young people the ability to test those waters, to test those things out so that when they're 18, they're not like just now figuring out how to navigate, you know, they're they're, um, requesting medications or learning how to like talk to their doctor and things like that. And so... I think there's a lot of there's a lot of red tape around things like reproductive health. There's a lot of controversy around reproductive health, but the truth of the matter is adolescents have autonomy over their own bodies and it is their decision whether or not they want to start birth control, access to abortion, all these other things should be the decision of the adolescent and that's I truly and firmly believe in that. Um and I think parents should be involved if it will be therapeutic and helpful for the patient. And so I've had situations where, you know, a patient was hospitalized because she had pelvic inflammatory uh, disease, which is like a really, like pretty much a complication of the STD. 
And we involved her parent because her mom was going to help her take her medication. Her mom was the one that was going to be there by her side. But we didn't tell her mom without her permission. We talked with the patient and said, this is a lot for you to deal with on your own. How can we, you know, who do you have that's a good support for you? And she was like, my mom, but I'm afraid to tell her because I don't want to disappoint her. And so we helped her navigate. That, like, breaks my heart. I to- I'm, like, going to cry just thinking about that because everyone has felt that, like, from their parent of, like, I don't want to disappoint them. Like, I don't want to... I don't uh, want them to feel like I'm not like doing the right thing, basically. Exactly. Or I don't want to worry them. Uh, Those, you know, and those are very mature things. Um, But we try to create that, um, that communication and that conversation between the parent and the child or the youth. So that way they have support. It's all about support. So if you're, you know, if a young person is like, I do not want to involve my parent because my parent is toxic. Because not all parents are good parents, let's be real. My parent is toxic, or I'm afraid I'm going to get kicked out of the house, or blah, blah, blah. We find other ways to navigate that. But if it's something that's very serious, and we feel that the parent could be a strength and could help the adolescent, then we we might you know, encourage the adolescent to get the parent involved and help them navigate that conversation with the parent. But it ultimately is the decision of the, of the youth. And as much as we can as adolescent doctors, we try to involve the parent if we think that it's going to be helpful. But if it's not going to be helpful, we respect the boundaries of the adolescent. Um, And so I think that's an important concept. And parents have to understand that because at some point your adolescent is going to be an adult and is going to be out in the world on their own. Um, And so you need to make sure that they have that autonomy and they're able to navigate those situations on their own. So it's it's definitely difficult. I've had parents who did not want to leave the room when we kick them. You know, we kick the parents out. And we say this is the part of the visit where we're going to talk with your your you know child alone. And I've had parents be like, why do I gotta? Why do I have to leave? Like, this is new policy that you guys are doing. I'm like, this is not new. This is standard across the board that we do for everyone. This is a part of your child learning how to become an adult, learning how to navigate the medical system, and learning how to advocate for their health. So we do run into many issues with some parents who don't want to give that space, but that is a normal part of adolescent development and it's a healthy trajectory for a young person. So we push for it as much as we can. Totally. Yeah. Um, getting into COVID for a hot sec, I know that everyone is pretty freaking tired of talking about COVID, but as we can see from our ding dong, ding dong president, that it's not going anywhere. Um, so I would love to know in your experience as a doctor, like how has COVID impacted the young people that you've been working with, whether that be in their relationships, like getting access to that birth control or even just getting a regular doctor's visit? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's been, it's been a struggle. Um, so I, I will say the, when everything first kind of went down back in March, um, a lot of clinics that serve young people and serve children, like shut down, like they were completely closed or partially closed, very little access. Um, and so as a, as a provider for adolescent patients, like I felt hopeless and like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't reach my patients. We were used to seeing them all in person. And at this point, at that point, there was like minimal co- like contacts between us. And so that's kind of what revved up Gorgeous Doc and like kind of what got me like started with creating some of the images and the content that I've been working on that has like um, anatomy pictures and explains like, 
the reproductive health system and explains the menstrual cycle, things like that. I, that all was rooted from me feeling like I couldn't help people and I needed to help them digitally or over social media. And so we did a lot of, I did a lot of Instagram live sessions with local organizations in DC. And that was how we were able to reach people because otherwise we just couldn't, we just weren't seeing them in person. Um, and a lot of people think like, oh, young people haven't been affected by COVID because they're not, you know, older people are the ones or, or immunocompromised people are the ones who are dying from COVID or who are getting sick with COVID, who are dealing with the complications. But young people have really taken the brunt of COVID, like after the COVID aftermath. So first of all, they've been stripped away from school. And like we, I've talked a lot about adolescent development. A normal part of adolescent development is also peer relationships which has completely been like appalled by COVID and people having to quarantine and not have contact with each other. So that normal like learning of like, how do I talk to people in person has completely been disrupted. Mm -hmm. So adults have been impacted by that. They've been impacted mentally. They, we've seen lots of um, anxiety, lots of depression, lots of eating disorders, like lots of those mental health issues have like become more intense. Because it's like a loss of control. Yes, for sure. And a lot of our patients have, have were struggling before and then you put a pandemic on top of it and they kind of just, they just have lost it. Um, or they try to gain control by exercising or eating healthy and trying to be healthy to like prevent themselves from getting COVID, but then lose control and then end up developing an eating disorder or you know, um, worsening a uh, eating disorder that they had good control over. So we've seen that. Um, we've also seen lack of access to health services. So some the clinic that I work in now is much more available and open. But before you have to make, we used to do walk-ins. You have to make an appointment now. You can't just walk into the doctor's office. Most doctor's offices don't do walk-ins. So it's just been the access to care has definitely been decreased. Um, there's some birth control methods like long-acting reversible contraceptives like the IUD or the next one on which require an in-person procedure. That was all on hold essentially for the past couple of months. Um, most places are starting to pick up and do that again. But if you wanted birth control, like it had to be something that could be like mailed to, that you could pick up from the pharmacy. It wasn't, we didn't have the same access to reproductive health. And then with STD testing, a lot of the kits, a lot of the material that's used to test for COVID is actually also used to test for STDs. And so what we've seen is that there's a nationwide shortage now of STI wow. testing because they're using the materials to do, to prepare for COVID testing. So the people who get STDs the most and who require the most testing and screening are adolescents and young people. So once again, they're being hit, not by COVID directly, but by the aftermath of COVID. So it's just been, it's been very difficult for young people. And I think, you know, people don't necessarily, and then also graduations, college, prom, like all these things that teens have been like looking forward to, things that they were really excited about have all been canceled or postponed or whatever. So teens have really taken, teens and young people have really taken the brunt of the aftermath of COVID. And I think people focus a lot on the financial part and they focus a lot on the like actual disease itself and don't realize like how it has impacted teens beyond just like the COVID like virus itself. Absolutely. So. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. That really does put it in perspective about like the idea of the aftermath, because I think like while 
we're still seeing now back, you know, in October, an uptick of COVID again, that only means the same things will continue happening for young people, which is like lack of access, continuing to really figure out how to, how to promote care and services through telehealth and like figuring out, you know, how to make that work. But there's a lot of work to be done in that arena, I think. Yeah. And I will say that I think the silver lining of all of this is that telehealth has exploded. And so everyone is doing telehealth and I can now like FaceTime with my patient, which is so cool. I mean, like that is something that we should have been doing a long time ago. So I will say that access has improved in that way. And I could say like, oh, let's talk about birth control options over video. And then I will send it to the pharmacy for you instead of like someone having to come in person, wait and, you know, sit in the waiting room, things like that. So I will say that that is definitely the silver lining is that we have increased our access virtually. And I also think social media has just like exploded. And there's so many people, doctors um, who are healthcare professionals, educators who are just like cranking out like this awesome, awesome content um, because we understand that that's where young people are accessing information. And so that I think has also just like really, really grown a lot. So um, those are some of the benefits, not benefits, but some of the silver lining of all of this. Um, And I think young people are using those spaces. Absolutely. Yes, they are. Um, Okay. We have one more question here. This has been really amazing. Thank you again so, so much for joining us. I feel like I've learned a ton and um, we clearly have a bunch in common. So I would love to like keep working with you, which is very fun. Um, But I would love to know where do you hope Gorgeous Doc goes? Like, what do you, what do you want to be known for? Clearly you have a lot of different passions and a lot of different talents. So I'm kind of wondering what, what like really drives you forward and like, where are you aiming to go? Yeah, my I didn't talk about this at all during this interview, but I have a huge passion for global health. So my goal is to be like a global health adolescent like specialist. Like I want people across the world to know like Gorgeous Doc, Dr. Ramsey, that is where I can go to get resources about how to help adolescents anywhere in the world. So I want to my ultimate goal is to be a consultant and to help build capacity for places in the U.S. and across the world to better serve young people and then also create information and create content that people can use across the world to to serve adolescents. So that's really, um, I think, like my ultimate like dream and goal for Gorgeous Doc. Um, and some of the other work that I do supports that, such as like some of the diversity work that I do with trying to increase diversity in medicine trying to increase equity in medicine and trying to decrease health disparities. And then the artwork part is really just like a side thing. (laughs) I just love to draw and it's really relaxing for me. And I started doing it again during COVID because I had very few other coping skills. leaned back on like the things that I did when I was like five years old I was like whoa five-year-old Tasha need so I started drawing again and and then I was like oh I could combine this with my interest in adolescent medicine and with diversity and that's kind of how like my images like developed um but ultimately yeah I wanted I want to like help people across the world help teens um and that's that's just like ultimately what I want I want to be known as like that person Sex Ed with DB is supported by Pandia Health. 
the only doctor-led birth control delivery company. Here are some fun facts about Pandia Health. Most birth control is free with insurance or for $15 per pack without. Your birth control comes with free delivery and free goodies, and you can get an online doctor visit if you need it, which is perfect during COVID-19. Go to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code sexedfree to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. If you're someone in a long distance relationship, quarantine can be especially difficult without your boo. What if you could have an exact replica of your partner's penis or vulva to use as a sex toy? While the year 2020 certifiably blows, at least we have Clonawilly to make our LDR dreams come true. Intrigued? Learn more at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time.